Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. I haven't uh, figured out a real simple way to move from slide to slide. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm challenged with pushing buttons. Uh, oh, no, sometimes I can push buttons. But uh, at any rate, I was thinking, what could we do? Some of you who are old, as old as I am or maybe older remember in the old film strips, there was a little beep that you would do. Uh, those of you who are nodding your heads are confessing that you're older, uh, like, like me. Uh, we don't have beeps, and I don't think me saying beep will do. I thought, what about saying hallelujah? And then we go on to the next slide. Wouldn't that be great? Now, if you really want to speed the service up, you know what to say. <laughs> All right. Uh, today, we're going to be thinking about transformational faith, a faith that changes the way we act, uh, the way we live, and the way we believe. After just three weeks of in-person ministry from Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the new believers in Thessalonica fully embraced their faith, and it changed the very way they lived. Hallelujah. <laughs> Word about their faith spread throughout the entire region of Macedonia and spilled over into the neighboring region of Achaia. Uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, beginning in the middle of verse 9, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. I want you to understand at that time, in those days, in, this, in the area of Greece, which was under Roman control, uh, normal behavior called for the worship of Caesar, the emperor of Rome, and a lot of other gods. We know from Acts chapter 17 that the people in Athens, which was in nearby uh, what we would call Greece, had statues of many different gods, and they even had a statue that didn't have a name on it. It was a statue to an unknown god because they wanted to be careful not to miss out on worshiping anyone. And Paul used that statue and that idea to then talk to them about Jesus. We know that from Acts 17. Uh, in Rome, there's a building called the Pantheon. Now, this is going to sound a little bit odd, but hallelujah. Uh, <laughs> it didn't seem to fit in that case. But it, the History Channel talks about this building, which is called the Pantheon. Uh, it's in Rome, and it says, Traditionally thought to have been designed as a temple for Roman gods, the structure's name is derived from the Greek words pan, meaning all, and theos, meaning gods. So it was a building dedicated to worshiping the numerous gods of Rome. Now, centuries later, it was repurposed. Today, it's considered a Roman Catholic church, and there are different uh, saints that are there, and biblical, the apostles are listed and shown uh, there in the artwork. But in that day, it showed what was the culture to worship many gods, all the gods. Uh, it was indicative of the popular worship of many different gods. 
The Thessalonians who believed the good news of Jesus had a dramatic change in their worship lifestyle. No longer did they worship all the gods of Rome and Greece. They worshiped the one living and true God. Hallelujah. Uh, For sure, it fits this time. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. This was a dramatic conversion that was easy for others to see. Their dedicated worship of the only one true living God was a radical departure from their culture. It was countercultural. They stood out like a sore thumb. Uh, In addition, the Thessalonian Christians were known for their great love for each other. This appears to be a literal first century fulfillment of Jesus' statement, they will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. From John 13, verse 35. Their faith was vibrant and growing even though they were baby Christians. As in the case for all believers, they would continue to grow in their faith and grow deeper throughout the years. The Apostle Paul encouraged them further about how true followers of Jesus should live. Let's turn to our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 12, and I'll be reading from the New International Version, but it's a little bit updated. So when you're reading from the Pew Bible, uh, you can follow along, but the slight differences, same meaning. Beginning with verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to live, to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. A key verse for us, for the Thessalonians and for us, is verse 7. Hallelujah. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Ooh, this is working good. This shows that our faith is a transformational calling. It's not just a statement, but it's a calling. This is God's calling to us to live a pure and holy life. When we place our faith in Jesus, we are changed from the inside out. We are to leave our old lives behind and instead follow closely to Jesus. Our lives should reflect 
His holiness, His values, His priorities. When people are watching how we live, they should be able to see something of Jesus in us. No believer in Jesus should practice an immoral lifestyle. God did not call us to be impure following the sinful practices of society. No, God's intention for us is to be sanctified or set apart. We're not in the old ways of the world, but now in the new ways of Jesus. We're set apart from the normal. We're set apart to the special, to the holy, to the precious. For we are precious children of God and we are to follow Him. So we are to be set apart, to be made pure by God's Spirit, to live for Him. He calls us to live a holy life. Uh, Many people seem to forget this today. They think that the whole point of accepting Jesus is to be forgiven for sin and, and get into heaven in some ways. And those are true things, but there's also life in the here and now. God is saving us not just from our sins, but He's saving us into life, the life of Jesus, that we might live for Him in each and every day. Uh, Some see the beginning of faith and its end, but they forget about the everyday middle. God calls us to holy living in our day-to-day life. Every day, not even just Sunday. Every day, He calls us to holy living. No longer can we excuse sinful behavior by saying everyone else is doing it. Our guiding principle is not what everybody else is doing, but what does Jesus want? How would Jesus act? And before you just dismiss these thoughts and say, oh, that's too hard, listen to the transformational standard that's given to us in verse 8. Hallelujah. Anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God, the very God who gives you His Holy Spirit. So these instructions are not just suggestions, neither are they simply the words of a great leader, the Apostle Paul. No, they were the instructions of God Himself. To reject these instructions is to reject God. That's what Paul is saying. And he's like, he hits us right between the eyes with this. This is God's Word. And we believe it, right? This is God's Word. To reject these instructions declares that we think we know better than God. And sometimes don't we do that? Uh, We know what God says, but uh, we'll do this. And that's saying that we know better. When we say that we know better and we reject, uh, we reject instructions or other teachings of the Bible. It puts ourselves on the throne of our lives instead of God. And when we put ourselves on the throne, that's a form of self-worship or self-idolatry. God's instructions for holy living are serious. Don't discount them or set them aside. Having these key statements in mind, let's look at how Paul instructed the Thessalonian believers to live a transformed life. Hallelujah. Transformation. Keep on growing in your faith-based behavior. You're already doing well. Keep it up and even excel all the more. If I could paraphrase verse 1, it's you are following our former instruction to live life in a way that's pleasing to God. That's fantastic. And we ask you, yes, even urge you to give yourselves to uh, live a God-pleasing lifestyle every day more and more. 
And paraphrasing verses 9 and 10 about loving each other, we don't need to write you about this. You're already doing so well. But listen, please listen to our hearts. We urge you to love each other more and more. Now, do you hear the compliments that Paul is giving them? Yeah, you're already doing so well. Uh, you're living for the Lord. You're loving each other. Uh, you're living out your faith in amazing ways. Praise the Lord. But don't stop now. Give yourselves to these practices more and more. Grow in your love. So not only that you love and you're doing a great job of loving, but lean into it. Lean into it and love each other more and more. Grow in your everyday living in a way that pleases God. And grow in personal purity and holiness. Hallelujah. Dedicate yourself to moral and sexual purity. Looking back at verses 3 through 6. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Though sanctification involves much more than sexual purity, Paul specifically addresses sexual purity uh, with these new believers. Because in the day and culture in which they lived, sexual immorality was rampant and was widely accepted. Does that sound familiar? There in those times, some of the pagan worship even involved temple prostitutes. I don't know that we've gone that far, but lots of the other stuff, uh, certainly we are very similar to the Roman culture. Uh, similar to our own American culture, the average person of Roman social culture uh, cast off any restraints to sexual activities. If it would make them feel good, then they should do it. If they had a desire, an urge, or a lust, then they should just fulfill it. But Paul tells them, and he tells us, something that is countercultural, something that is very different from the ways of the world. Paul says that it is God's will, God's desire, God's plan that they should be sanctified or set apart for God and that they should avoid all types of sexual immorality. Paul tells us to learn to control our bodies in a way that is holy and honorable, not simply driven by passionate lust like non-believers. Lustful desire should not be given control of our lives. Rather, we will intentionally Choose to live for God, to follow His way, to say no to our own sinful desires and to say yes to Jesus. That we will choose to follow God's will and give Him first place in our hearts. The sexual desires that God grants us are beautiful and they are to be fulfilled in God's holy covenant of marriage. Like the ancient Roman culture, our modern American culture casts off sexual restraints. Over two decades ago, the infidelity of a former president was dismissed by saying, he's just a man. That's not an excuse that carries any weight. Because God calls us to live for Him. This word from Paul is still vital for us today. Remember, we can't simply dismiss what Paul is saying. As verse 8 reminds us, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God, the very God who gives you His Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. 
Love even more than you do now. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 again. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. There is a special love for fellow members of the body of Christ that we uh, know that we share a Savior and we get to, to love and care for each other. We walk together. We limp together. As we mentioned uh, another week, uh, we are there to support each other. There's a deep bond and enduring love for those who share our faith in Jesus. Those who are part of our own local church family, there is a great love that we have for each other. And we need to celebrate that. And Paul is saying we need to do that more and more. We also have a deep love for other believers in our area, in our community, as we get to know them that, who know Jesus. We have a bond with them, even though we may not worship together on a particular Sunday morning in the same place, but we're worshiping together in different locations. Or people whom we've never met, but who share our faith. There's a wonderful sense of family love among believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was a teenager, I was invited to join a group of young men uh, that was a worldwide organization. And at the time when I was a teenager, the Vietnam conflict was going on. Uh, it was a pretty sure thing that I was going to be drafted, especially when my number was 32. For those who remember those days, if you were from 100 and down, you were going. Uh, well, they ended the draft my year, uh, so uh, I didn't have to go. I didn't have to cut short my training in Bible college, uh, but it was able to continue on. But anyway, they, they, one of the big selling points was wherever you go, you will find a brother so-and-so, and you will have an automatic connection. You know, that sounded really good. But when I gave my heart to Jesus, I found that I had brothers and sisters all around the world, many more of them was in that organization, that I would know because of our faith in Jesus and that I would be able to experience a kinship with people that I'd never even met before, but who know Jesus like I do. Uh, in my travels that I've been privileged to go to some other countries, I've experienced this bond of love with believers uh, from many different nationalities even from nationalities of people that we as a nation would say, oh, stay away from them, or they're our enemies. But those who know Jesus in other countries are not our enemies. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I've found that bond of love that goes beyond geopolitical boundaries. Already known for their loving hearts, Paul encouraged the Thessalonians to continue loving more and more. The New American Standard Bible says it this way, we urge you to excel even more. They were excelling, but excel more. Do even greater. They were encouraged to dig deeper. We might say, put the pedal to the metal. Don't let up. In a letter to another church, Paul wrote, let us not become weary in doing good. Let us continue to love. Let us grow more and more in this way. Even in pressure-filled times, the Thessalonians were loving one another well. But there would come further tests of their love in the years to come. Paul knew that. He knew the kind of pressure cooker that they were going to be living under. And he said, excel 
more and more. Now, applying this to our congregation, how are you doing at expressing love for one another? And you might say, we're doing pretty good. And that's great. And I could say a word, but I'm not quite ready. Uh, <laughs> we're doing great, but how can we do even better? How can we show love even more? How can we show love to the people of our community even more? That's what Paul is saying. Love even more and more. Excel even more. How can you lean into loving actions so that you can excel to a greater degree? Hallelujah. Live a quiet life. Verses 11 and 12, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Have you met people who uh, perhaps take Bible verses out of context and they just find a phrase they like? How about the Bible says, mind your own business. Wouldn't that be a good one? No. Uh, that's not the context, though, right? He's saying to the people themselves, lead a quiet life, mind your own business, work with your hands. So what did he mean by this? Does he want them simply to keep to themselves? Well, no, because if they did, then how can they love more and more? So they, that's not what it means. The quiet life that Paul is picturing seems to be one of taking responsibility for oneself and not being a busybody in somebody else's life. Now, sometimes when we really love somebody and we see them going in a path that they shouldn't, I mean, we need to speak, but how we do it makes a big difference. Uh, to just tell somebody, this is the way, do this, doesn't work very well. And to be a busybody and always trying to tell other people how to live doesn't fly very well. Instead, it can draw, uh, create barriers Rather, we are not to be busybodies, but we're to react in love and to lead a life where people can see a difference in us. In the context of the verses that follow, which focus on the second coming of Jesus, the people seem to be super excited about Jesus coming soon, so much so that some were focusing more on telling other people to get ready than they were to work to earn their daily living. And so they were becoming dependent on the other believers rather than doing their own work. And so Paul says, work with your hands. Some of them had stopped working, and they were depending on others. They were too busy to work, too busy telling others to stop working and get ready for Jesus. In his commentary, Pastor Tony Evans says, evidently, some of the Thessalonians had gotten so excited about Jesus' return that they had quit their jobs. But Paul reminds them to work with their own hands because their laziness had become a liability to their friends and neighbors. Waiting expectantly for Jesus' return does not mean that we stop working and sit around doing nothing, wasting time until the rapture. It means we work differently, looking to Jesus, not to our work, for our hope. So we work as unto the Lord. We are told, live a quiet life. As Paul said, live so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Hallelujah. In this one, you really say hallelujah. It's the last slide. The, t 
The Thessalonian believers had experienced amazing changes in their hearts since they placed their faith in Jesus. Before Timothy brought back word about the Thessalonians, Paul and Silas had been concerned. What if all our work was in vain? What if they're not following Jesus anymore? But when Timothy came back, they heard the good news. He was, Paul was delighted to hear of their strong, vibrant faith that was characterized by their testimony and love. True Christian faith is transformational. Jesus makes a difference in our lives. If He's not made a difference in your life, then you need to give your heart to Him anew and afresh because Jesus is in the life-changing business. He's in the life-changing relationship. He changes us from the inside out. Not just for our future, but in how we live now, how we live every day. As an old gospel song says, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Praise God that He is changing us for the better. And I want to say that word, but that'll take the screen away. <laughs> Praise the Lord. How's that? We're not the same as we used to be. Jesus is transforming us. Is there an amen anywhere? Amen. There's some of my friends who say, I wish I had a witness. And that means say amen, okay? Uh, we're not the same as we used to be. God is working. May He work deeper, greater, stronger in our hearts as we open up ourselves to Him. Our faith is more than a religion. It's more than religious practice. It's not simply having spiritual facts that we've memorized and stuck up in our head and there's, that's where they stay. But it's letting those words in Fuse our whole lives and the Spirit infuse our lives to change us, to transform us to be more and more like Jesus. Changing us on the inside and the outside. Our lives are different because of Jesus. How does your life reflect the love of Jesus? How are you living out the call to transformation? That was in verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 